All right, how many of y'all actually counted 13 people? How many of y'all are lying? All right, how many of y'all got close? You got close, all right. All right, John 15, grab your Bibles, John 15. If you did not get a lesson, you may need one that's three pages long. <clears throat> and don't, don't, don't fret, don't fret, we still only got an hour. So if we get finished, we do, if we don't, we don't. Uh, but we're going to try to, because I, I, I really want to try to go into great detail explaining uh, the subject and the topic tonight. Uh, because a lot of times we deal with this and we face this and we go through things in life, and this is what we think, and I, and I posted this today. Why am I going through this? Or, or why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? And guys, there's, 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 there's a reason. There's a reason. Now, it may not be what we think it is, but, but there's usually a reason. And uh, how many of y'all know God's always got a plan and he's always up to something? Okay, he's always active. Say that with me. He's always, he's always active in the lives of his children. So that's what we're going to see tonight. And it's going to really be informative. And, and like I said, I'm not rushing this thing. I, I thought, man, I got to hurry. I got to hurry. We got three pages. I want to get through all this. I ain't doing that. We're going to go take our time. And we're going to go through it. What we get finished tonight, we will. We don't. We got next week. Amen. Jesus don't come back. Uh, we'll let Dustin teach. Amen. <clears throat> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. John 15. John 15. Don't tell him. He ain't in here. All right. He, don't, he, won't, he won't never know if y'all don't tell him. Right, I'm Baptist church. I know y'all can't keep no secret. <clears throat> okay, all right. Are you in John 15? Say amen. amen. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, and as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth. So, so far we've got fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. So there's a progression here. Do y'all see that? Fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. Uh, then we see, then we see verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Now here's, here's a, the key verse. The key verse. All right? Let's all read this together. Verse number 8. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Now, if you're going to be a disciple, a follower of Christ, you got to bear fruit. And he's saying if you're, you are a disciple, you're going to bear fruit. And when you bear fruit, it brings glory to the Father. Are y'all with me? Herein. Herein what? In bearing fruit. That brings glory to the Father. And all God's people say it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege it is to be here. I, I don't take this lightly. You, you could have called anybody to do this and, and, and commissioned anybody to be here, but I get to. It's a privilege and an honor to stand before your people and share your word. And, and God, that's what I want to do tonight, and I want to help somebody. Lord, I know that we go through things in life that causes bitterness and causes anger and frustration, sometimes even with you, because we don't understand what you're trying to do. 
But God, help us to get an understanding tonight. Help us to, Lord, just to learn something that's going to transform our Christian life. And God, we'll thank you for it and praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> this is a really, really important uh, subject and topic tonight. For primary, uh, a primary reason is a lot of times we go through tragedies. Are you with me? Say amen. A lot of times we go through heartbreaking things, things that, that we just do not understand, we just do not comprehend, and we can't figure out why God would allow us to go through something. It can be a death, it can be a tragedy, it, it, it can be a huge loss, it can be something that, that, that just, just develops and creates great pain in our lives. And, and we think, and I've heard people sit in my office and sit across from my desk and say, if God loves me so much, why is he allowing me to hurt like he's hurting? And, 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 and there are some legit questions. There, 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 are, there are real questions that, that we need to address and we need to talk about. But sometimes we feel that way because we don't understand the meaning of life. We don't understand why we're here. Because if we understood that, then we would understand what God is doing. Now, some of us, the meaning of life is to have a great career. Some of us, the meaning of life is have the American dream, have the white picket fence and a pretty two-story house and, and two and a half children and a, a dog. Are y'all with me? I mean, meet all the quotas. That's, that, that's the meaning of life. I'm supposed to have that. And if I don't have that, and, and that's, just, that's just not the case. That's just not so. What is, the, what is this? I, I put in the top of your notes, before we even jump into the, the meat of the, uh, of the lesson, I put three things there at the top. Just one, two, three. First, what, what was number one? Say it to me. God's aim. God's aim. What is God's aim? His glory. His glory. All right? We, 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 we've done been through the book of John up into chapter number 15, and we have clarified, and without question, we have proved and seen over and over again and shown that the purpose of life is to bring glory to God. Whatsoever ye do, whether ye eat or drink, bring glory to God. Do everything to bring God glory. God created you to bring glory. Your purpose in life is to bring him glory. It's not to be a, a painter. It's not to be a preacher. It's not to be a singer. It's not to be a teacher. It's not to be a lawyer or a doctor. Your purpose in life is to bring him glory. Now, how you do that may vary. You may bring him glory by teaching. You may bring him glory by preaching. You may bring him glory by painting. You may bring him glory by singing. But that is secondary. Primary is bringing him glory. Are y'all with me? So God's aim in life is for you to bring him glory. And he is going to operate in such a way that he is glorified in the most exalted manner. Okay? That is his aim. Period. That is his aim. Can we all agree on that before we go further? Okay. Secondly, what's number two? God's agenda. Okay? Or you can put the word activity. If you like that word better, that's fine. God's activity. Now we find in verse 8, we find in verse 8, uh, we find God's, uh, his aim, right? Herein is my father glorified. Come on. Herein is my father glorified. Now, all right, what is, what is he going to do so we can do that? We're going to bear fruit. He is going to work in our lives so we bear fruit because us bearing fruit brings him. You see it in several verses, all right? You see it in verses 2, verses 4, verses 5, and verses 8. We're going to bear fruit because we, as we bear fruit, we bring him. You see that? All right. Now, 
I can bear fruit. And I'm not going to go into the bearing fruit part. We spent a big portion of last week. If you want to know what that is, say, preacher, I wasn't here for the bearing fruit. Get that last week. It's, it's great stuff. It's great stuff. You need to get that and know what that means. What does it mean to bear fruit? It's all last week. But we're doing that. I can bear fruit as a preacher. You can bear fruit as a singer. You can bear fruit as a painter. You can bear fruit as a doctor, a nurse, or, or a builder, a, a teacher, so forth and so on. But bearing fruit brings him glory. All right? So that's the activity or the agenda. But then, then here's, here's the deal. This is, this is where we start really, really uh, getting uh, down and dirty, if you will. We see, what's the last one? Number three. Say it again. God's attention. Now remember, Jesus is speaking. The, the, the color in your, in your Bible is red, so Jesus is talking. He's speaking to his disciples. They've just come out of the upper room. They're going to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he possibly passes a vineyard, and he uses this as a word illustration. He uses this as a picture illustration, and he says, Look, I am the vine. I'm the source. I'm the vine. Ye are the, you're the branches, and you're going to bear... Now watch this, but there's another character involved. Jesus is the vine, the disciples are the branches. But there's somebody else's name. My father, my father is the husbandman or the caretaker, the, the, the farmer, if you will. In other words, he's going to be the one to make sure that the vine and the branches are bearing so he is going to give them his attention. Now, <coughs> you say, why, why is that such a big deal? That doesn't make, oh yeah. When you get saved, the moment that you surrender your life to Christ, you are attached to the vine. And the moment that you are attached to the vine, you are not your own anymore. You now belong to God. He has purchased you with his own blood. And you are not the owner. You are not the boss. You are not in charge any longer. And you have a new agenda. And that agenda is bearing fruit. And the owner of the vineyard is going to make sure that happens. Now watch this. Watch this. This is what a lot of Christians do. This is what a lot of Christians do. And this is how a lot of Christians think. A lot of Christians think, I'm going to do the bare minimum. How many of y'all are bare minimalists? Don't lie to me. You did just what it took to get by in school. Now, some of y'all aren't. Some of y'all are different. But there are a lot of Christians. You know the verse in the Bible that says, uh, saved so as by fire? Some of y'all are going to get into heaven with your britches smoking. <clears throat> You're going, you're going to do the very bare minimum. And you think, okay, as long as I'm just doing such and such, God's cool with that, and he'll leave me alone, and he'll just bother them special ones. But guess what? He says if you bear fruit. He says, oh, preacher, I'm bearing fruit. I'm here. I'm always, I'm always careful to chew out the Wednesday night crowd because that's, you know, you're here. Amen? It's, it's them other, them heathens is not, amen? <laughs> but seriously, seriously, we will, we will think, okay, if I do such and such, and, I, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go beyond the call of duty, but, but I, at least I'm, I'm bearing a little fruit, and, and, you know, 
God says, if ye abide in me, or excuse me, let's go back to verse 2. Let's go back to verse 2. He said, he that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. But if you bear fruit, he purges it. Really? He's not going to leave me alone? No. You may get satisfied where you're at as a Christian, but God never does. You may be satisfied at what level of fruit bearing you are. You may be satisfied with showing up on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. You may be satisfied with a certain amount of holiness or sanctification that you've experienced, but he's not. Even if you bear a little fruit, you can't rest on that, and God's not going to let you rest on that. Are you all starting to see what I'm going here? In other words, there's no place you're ever going to get in your Christian life where you can kick back and say, because God's going to pay you some attention. Are y'all with me? Y'all ready to run and hide now? Well, what kind of attention is he going to show us? Well, the word here is purge. And any way you look at it, it's not a good word. It's not a pleasant word. It is a word that means cleanse. You can take that wherever you want to take that. But it's also a word that means prune. Let's, 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 let's describe that. Cut away. Cut away. All right? God, no matter what, and no matter where you are in your Christian life, no matter how much fruit you're going to bear, it's not enough. And you can't rest on your laurels. God's going to come and he's going to pay you attention. And the attention he pays you may not be pleasant. He says he purges it that it may bear more fruit. More fruit. Now, why is this necessary? I want you to look in your Bibles. I want you to look in your Bibles. If you've got your Bibles, turn. It's in your notes, but I want you to practice turning in your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. If you don't have your Bibles... Bring them next time. But if it's in your notes, it should be right on the top of your notes there. Hebrews 12, 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. That's in reference to uh, chapter number 11, the faith hall of fame. In other words, the lives all these people lived while they was here on earth, they gave us great examples to follow. They are great witnesses. Now watch this. Now watch this. Let us, say it with me. Let us, everybody say it. Let us lay aside, okay, everybody, come on now, stay with me. Let us lay aside every and the which such though. I promise you, I am Baptist, I promise. I'm not speaking in tongues up here, amen. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Two things. Two things, weight and sin. And this weight and sin in our life will beset us. I looked up that word. Look in your notes. Look in your notes. The word beset. Right there at the top. It means to surround, to enclose, to hem in, to press on all sides so as to perplex, to entangle, so as to render escape difficult or impossible. 
I mean, I, I think sin is a, is a no-brainer. Do we have to? We don't have to define that, do we? I mean, I, I got it there, but everybody knows what sin is. All right. The word weight means a burden or a hindrance. A hindrance. Now, in the context of chapter twelve, he's in reference to a runner, one running a race. But as we continue reading, we're going to talk about the chastening or the purging process. And he uses the word fruit, okay, fruit of righteousness. Now, in both chapters, in John 15 and Hebrews chapter number 12, we're really dealing with the same issue and the same topic and the same activity that he is referring to in John 15 with the purging. He's referring to in John 12 with the process that he will bring somebody through that has weights and sins in their life. Now, God will pay you attention. If, if your fruit bearing is not up to what it can be, God is going to come in your life. You don't have to invite him. You don't have to ask him. You don't have to hope he will. If you are a child of God, he's coming. And you, you can't get out of it. You're not going to avoid it. You're not going to hide from him because he's after fruit. He's after fruit. And the reason he's after fruit is because God deserves the glory from your life. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. So this attention, this purging process, and the whole, the whole lesson is about this process, the pruning process, okay? And, and so why do, we have to, why do we have to go through this? Well, first thing, number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Sometimes there are hindrances in our life. Sometimes there are issues in our life that will keep us from bearing the amount of fruit that we could bear for the glory of God. It keeps us and it hinders us and it, and it slows the fruit-bearing process down. And, and one issue that we have sometimes is a sin issue. Write that down. A sin issue. How many of y'all know sin will mess up your fellowship with your father? John, 1 John chapter number 1, what does it say? If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's that word, cleanse, purge, all right, clear. Now why would he have to say that? Why would he say we need to confess? Because the Bible says that if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Why? Because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And you see, if we're going to have fellowship with him, and we've got to have fellowship with him because it's the abiding that's going to give us the ability to bear fruit, right? If you abide in me and I abide in you, ye shall bear much fruit. But if sin messes up that fellowship, then that messes up the abiding. And if we're not abiding, we're not bearing. Do y'all see this? Sometimes sin creeps in. Sometimes sin creeps in. But guess what? Thank God we have a God who cares enough about us to not let it stay there. All right, let's read. Look in, look in your Bibles. Look in your Bibles in Hebrews 12. Let's, let's just go, let's go uh, just a few verses. <clears throat> just a few verses down from that first verse that we looked at. He says, let, let, me, let, me, let me say this. The Bible says in verse number one, verse number one, let us, say that with me. Let us, let us lay aside. What does that mean? That means God is going to give you the opportunity to do it before he has to. 
God is going to give you the opportunity to straighten that out before he has to. You say, what's so significant about that? You don't want him to have to. How many of y'all know you will get a smaller switch than he will? Does anybody remember them days? Go get me a... You don't want him to get the switch. And what's great about this thing is, is that God will allow us to. But if we don't, you can rest assured, he will. Now here's the thing. Look at this verse. Let's, let's look at this. Let's go to verse 5. Verse 5. When you get there, say amen. It says, ye have forgotten the, ex- the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son... Despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art, what's that word? Rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons, for which son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastening or chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. It's the only time this word is found in the Bible. It means illegitimate means illegitimate. You may claim to be a child of God, but you're not. In other words, if if you claim to be saved, you can go to church and you can be on committees and, and you can have even been baptized, but go outside of these doors and live in blatant sin and God not correct you and chastise you and correct you, whoop you. If that's not happening, you're illegitimate. You don't truly belong to him. That's what this verse is saying. All right. Now it says, furthermore, verse nine, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather in subjection unto the Father, or be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his his holiness. Now watch this. There's never been truer words spoken than these right here. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. No whipping ever felt good. Amen? But watch what it does. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable what? Fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Now, now look in verse 10. Look in, look in verse 10. Look at the end of verse 10. God's going to correct us, and God's going to chasten us. God's going to rebuke us and scourge us. It's for our profit. How is it it our profit? Look at the last sentence. That we might be partakers of his. Now, I need everybody to look at me for something. I'm, I'm going to give you a revelation. Everybody look at me. Everybody look at me. This is really important. God's not as concerned with your happiness as he is your holiness. I'm just not happy. You might not need to be right now. Because the way you're living that you think is causing you happiness is detrimental to your spirituality and God's concerned about your holiness. Are y'all with me? Now there are, there is a process in the discipline factor when it comes to sin. 
Okay? When it comes to God's treatment of sin in our life, there is a process. Okay? How many of you, Lord have mercy. How many of you know that the, the punishment needs to fit the crime? Now, technically, with your children, technically with your children, uh, uh, there, are, there are levels of your discipline, correct? There should be. There should be. If not, you need to get that fixed. All right? There are times. There are times. The first word, and I'm, I'm just going to give you a Bible. I'm going to give you a Bible. Here's the word we're going to use. First level. First level of God's discipline when it comes to sin is the word rebuke. Write that down. Write that down. Rebuke. A. My son, Proverbs 3, 11. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as the father of the son in whom he delighteth. Revelation 3, 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. He says, I rebuke and chasten. Verse number 5. Verse number 5 of Hebrews 12. And it says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation that speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked. Say it with me. When thou art rebuked of him. So what is a rebuke? It's to admonish. It's a verbal warning. God will prick your conscience by the Holy Spirit for a sin you commit. He will use the preaching and teaching of the word to rebuke you. Sometimes it's in your prayers. God will try to get your attention. Sometimes it's through the words of others. But God will give you a rebuke. It, here, here's, here's, here's the first level. Here's the first level. Maybe you can relate to this as, as a child or, or maybe you can relate this with your children. Hey! How many of y'all just had shivers go down your spine right then? You knew the tone of voice. You knew. And if they ever called your middle name. Y'all with me? But there are times. Here's, 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 a, here's a level of rebuke. I grew up in a little bitty church. A small, I say little bitty church. It wasn't, it was big at, at that point in time. But compared to this, uh, my dad, he'd be, he'd be on the, He'd be on the, on, the, on the platform up here and the pulpit be right there and, and his little bench would be right here and, and me and my brother would be sitting where my dad's sitting right now and, and, uh, and, and he'd be sitting here. And I, I mean, I, I can tell you the times he'd have his leg crossed and they'd be singing and me and my brother, we would be... Uh, uh, we'd be in the Holy Ghost. Amen. <laughs> we, we wasn't really in the service like we needed to be in the service. Are y'all with me? And I, I remember, I remember times that I'd happen to glance up, and I'd, I'd get this. I'd get the look. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Now, sometimes that worked. I'd say the majority of times that worked. Not all the time. I wish I could say it worked all the time. I wish it had it. But how many of y'all know that didn't always work? And then sometimes you get, hey, God's rebuke will get louder. I'll tell you how he does it. He does it while you're in the process of making that stupid activity. He will, he will, he will rebuke you before you do it. Before you make that, he'll say, hey, 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 whoa, don't, uh, 
more than when you do. You come to church and, 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 and somehow the preacher could be preaching on the grace of God and the golden streets of glory and it'll hit your sin. <clears throat> have y'all noticed that? Before you leave, something will be said and it might not even have anything to do with anything but the Holy Spirit will say, see? Do I have a witness? And you know what? We have an option. Make it right. And you know what? You know what's cool about this? It'll be over. It'll be over. The moment you make it right with God, God doesn't do this because he's mad at you. God does this because he's wanting fruit. And if you make it right, you get it right, it's, it's done. It's over with. You're forgiven. He washes it away, forgets it like it never happened. Say amen. amen. How many of y'all know we're more stubborn than that? So there's another stage. There's another step to this dealing with sin in this purging process. The first one, A, is... Rebuke. Then, then B, it gets a little more severe. It goes to chastening. The word chastening. This word means to discipline. He says in, he says in verse number 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He chasteneth. It means to afflict with pain. You say, well, if I spank him, it's going to hurt. Yeah! That's the point. Anyway, I'm not going to get on that rabbit. We're going to stay right here. Amen? It means to afflict pain, loss, or calamity for a crime or a fault. This is a more severe form of discipline than the first. Watch what it involves. I tried to be as descriptive as I could. It involves emotional anxiety. It involves frustration or distress. Pressures increase at work, at home, in your health or finances. Things that didn't bother you before, now they bother you. Things that you could handle with no problem before, now it's just a, a major ordeal. Many Christians go along in their Christian life a long time in this level of discipline. They go to church and they feel unfulfilled. A lot of times they're critical all the time. Kind of on the outs with God. When they pick up their Bible, it feels like a lead weight, and they can't seem to figure out why. Then there's the third. And this gets serious. God starts with a rebuke. God starts with a verbal warning. God starts with a, a still, small voice of the Holy Spirit telling you, listen, get this out of your life. Deal with this issue. Deal with this habit. Deal with this sin. Deal with this problem. And if that don't work, he increases the discipline. He increases the intensity of the attention that he's giving you. To the point he goes to, what's the third one? Scourging. Look what it says. Verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son... Whom he receiveth. Everyone. Nobody's immune to this. Nobody's immune to this. Now you say, how severe is scourging? Do you realize that the word scourge is used for what they did to Jesus before they nailed him to the cross? The beating that Jesus took before he went to the cross is the same word that's used here. It is the most severe 
form of discipline that God will use on His children. In this level of discipline, you are living in open sin and flagrant defiance for what you know is right. God has tried over and over to get your attention, but you've not responded to the Lord's attempts to get your attention. Because of this, He must resort to inflicting pain to get the result. God takes a long-term sin very seriously. The consequences are more drastic than most Christians realize. Paul said that unconfessed and unrepented sin in the Corinthian church had caused some of its members to get weak, sick, and even die. 1 Corinthians 11.30, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And the word sleep there means death. Preacher, are you serious? I'm deadly serious. God will get your attention. But let me, let me give you some good news. Let me give you some good news. Those levels, <clears throat> it might be good news, maybe it might not. But those levels of intensity in the intensity of the discipline and the intensity of the attention that God gives you to get that sin out of your life, it's completely totally 100% based on your stubbornness. If you will submit to God in the rebuke, you'll never experience the chastening. If you submit to God when God has to do something a little more drastic to get your attention, you'll never experience the scourging. Because God doesn't do this to stay in practice. He doesn't do this because he's mad at you. He does what he does because he's in love with you. And he wants you to have the greatest life possible. And he will do whatever it takes to have a life that's bringing forth fruit to his glory. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. If God didn't love you, he'd just let you do whatever. But he loves you. you say, what do we do in this level? What do we do if we're going through this? What do we do? Repent. Repent. Make it right with God. It's not hard. It's not complicated. Turn to God. Turn from your sin and turn to God. And I promise you, he'll receive you. If we confess our sin... He is faithful. Say that with me. He is He's faithful. He's faithful. He will not lie. He will not lead you astray. If you come to him, I don't care how dark your sin is. I don't care how black your sin is. I don't care how long you've been in your sin. If you will come to him with a true heart, a true repentant spirit, and fall before him and say, God, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my behavior. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What a God. Sometimes sin will keep our fruit bearing to a minimum. God wants you to bear fruit, so he's going to pay you some attention. And sometimes that attention is discipline. When it's a sin issue, there'll always be discipline. And by the way, he never forgets. There were times when my mom or my dad would get on to us and, and they said, when you get home, and man, all the way home, you're praying for amnesia. 
or the return of Christ. Anyone would work, amen? Just come, Lord, rapture, take us home before he sends us home, amen? And you know, sometimes, I don't know whether it was out of mercy or whatever, it didn't happen. But I guarantee you this, that don't work with God. He does not forget. He will not ignore it. He will not sweep it under the rug. Oh, but preacher, it's okay. God understands. Yeah, yeah, I know. God understands. He understands you fixing to tote one. That's what he understands. God don't play. You can hide stuff from me. Stuff, stuff has happened in this church that come out and, and I had no idea. No, no, no earthly idea whatsoever, but you ain't going to hide it from him. You can hide it from your spouse. You can hide it from your parents. Listen, you can hide it from your kids, but you ain't going to hide it from God. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. Listen, sometimes God has to pay us attention in the fruit-bearing process because there's a sin issue. Well, then, then number two, write this down. Sometimes it's not a sin issue per se. Sometimes it's a self-issue. It's a self-issue. Write that down and, and look at me. <clears throat> Sometimes we get in the way. You, see, where, you say, where are you getting that from? You remember Hebrews 12, 1? Let us lay aside the, what's that first word? Wait. wait. Say it with me. What is it? Wait. wait. A wait, a wait doesn't necessarily have to be a sin. A wait doesn't necessarily have to be a thou shalt not. Do you know a wait can be a thou shalt that's in the way? It could be something that is good, but it's not the best. Are y'all with me? It could be something that's neutral. It's not necessarily good and it's not necessarily bad. It could be a hobby. It could be all kinds of things. But the problem is it's keeping you from bearing fruit. Or the amount of fruit that you have the potential to bear. Watch this. Look at your notes. It goes back to the grapevine. Because the grapevine's tendency to grow so quickly, so vigorously. I mean, if you ever noticed these, if you've ever been around a grapevine and, and, and how that, those twines and, and, and those, those vines, they just, just wrap and get thick. And they grow so fast, a lot of wood must be cut away each year. Grapevines can become so dense that the sun cannot reach into the area where fruit should form. For the Christian, rampant growth, watch this now, here's where we apply this. Here's where we apply this to our lives. For the Christian, rampant growth represents all those preoccupations and priorities in our lives that while not wrong, they are keeping us from more significant ministry for God. In other words, it's our agenda. What did, what did God tell the disciples? <clears throat> Remember when they said, teach us to pray? Teach us to pray. Our Father, teach us to pray. What did he say? He said, pray in this manner. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy... You know what we pray? God, help me get my stuff done today. So basically what we're saying is, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be my name. My kingdom come and my will be done. And I need your help with it. And if we have enough time left over, 
we may give him some spare change or spare time. But if the preacher calls and says, we need you to uh, help us with a preacher, I just don't have the... When we were put on this earth to bear fruit, to bring him... But boy, we've just scheduled him right out of our lives. Our priorities. Our, our, our preoccupations. Listen, God will use pruning to get those things that even though they may not be bad, they may just not be the best things in our lives. He will make us adjust our priorities to his in order that we may be more fruitful for him. His purpose is for you to cut away immature commitments and lesser priorities to make room for the even greater abundance in your Christian life. Listen, and it goes back to that verse, let us lay aside. Let's, let's use the picture of a runner for just a minute. How many of y'all have ever seen them, them, them guys when they're working out, they have those jackets, those weighted jackets, and they're running with these weighted jackets and backpacks and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and I had a, a friend of mine, he, he had to do a, a test. He was a, a firefighter, and, and he had to do a test, or a physical test, where he had to have the full get-up on the respirator and everything and climb stairs and do all kinds of So he's jogging in the park, fully firefighted everything. I'm not my respirator. He's running through the park. And everybody's looking at him like, what in the world? He's training. He's doing all this stuff. These guys wearing these weighted jackets, they're running and they're training. But when it comes time for race day, they strip down everything that's not necessary. Why? To be able to finish the race. They don't need any hindrance to keep them from finishing the race. And what God is saying here is he wants you to look at your life. God will start highlighting things in your life that's not necessary, that's not important, that's not a priority, that we've made such a big deal in our life that when we... I, I've seen people. I've seen people. And let me say this. I'm going to just go ahead and step on. Y'all going to be mad. But anyway, it don't matter. Here's the thing. We have made our children idols. We, we might as well just set their pictures up and put a little altar before them and burn candles in, in, the, in, the, in the presence of their pictures. Because we have, we have created a life around them that's running us crazy to try to keep them in every hobby they want to be in or every sport they want to be in. And it's running us crazy. We're about to die. Because we think little Johnny is going to be, he's going to miss out on something. And you know what's amazing about all that? He knows how to throw a ball. He knows how to kick a ball. He knows how to do all these things, 10 different sports, but he can't tell you where John 15 is. Now, I'm not here to make nobody mad, but I'm just telling you this. If that's the case, you've totally missed it. Because our main priority in life with our children is to teach them about their God. They have to know who God is because one day they're going to face him. And being able to throw a football through this building is not going to carry any weight with the sovereign God of heaven. And sometimes we wonder why God lets us miss things or lose things. It may be a job. 
It may be a hobby that's fell apart. It may be something that takes place that God says, why is this happening to me? God might be wanting you to really think about what's really important in your life. You're becoming stressed out over things. You're getting frustrated and you just and all this kind of, and, and, and it, you know what? It may be that God wants you to thin your calendar out because you got time for everything and everybody but him. Now, now you can get mad if you want to, but I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this. The only God you need in your life is the Lord Jesus. And I promise you, God will take stuff out of your life if he is not first place. If he is not your priority, if he is not your main agenda. Now, I want to explain something before we go to the third one. If you will listen. Discipline and development both are painful. Because they both require cutting. Y'all with me? Sometimes it's hobbies. Sometimes it's people. Sometimes it's, it's agendas. But whatever it is, cutting hurts. Are y'all with me? How many of y'all know there's no such thing in this whole entire universe as minor surgery? If you're cutting me, nothing is minor about that. Are y'all with me? Any cutting hurts. And the bad part is, the bad part is that this area of attention that God will give his children, it feels so much like the discipline for sin. And you say, why is that such a big deal? Because sometimes, listen, when we sin and God disciplines us, that's because we're doing something wrong. But this area, it could be because we're doing something right. But we don't have our priorities right. And we don't have them adjusted to a point where he's getting all the glory. And we're bearing fruit. And so sometimes the discipline process and the development process will get mixed up in our minds. And we'll do this. We'll confess every sin we know. And we're still frustrated. And then what happens? We get mad at God. And we get bitter against God because we're thinking we're doing right. Preacher, I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm giving tithes. I'm doing everything I know to do. And it's still things like I'm going through hell on earth. Why are you doing this to me? I've done confessed everything. I'll confess things I didn't do. Y'all know what I'm talking about? If it would give me some relief. But guess what? What do we do then? Here's what, I, here's what I, want you, I want you to look at your notes right here. Look at your notes. What do we do? How do we determine? How do we determine is this a discipline issue or a development issue? How do we determine if there's sin in our life or if there's just weights and preoccupations and priorities? Number one, do I have a sin in my life that's causing you to discipline me? That's what you ask God. Do I have a sin in my life that's causing you to discipline me? Ladies and gentlemen, let me assure you this. If you do, he will tell you. And I'm going to venture to say this. I'm going to just go out on a limb right here. And I'm not going to say I bet, but I, I, I'd be willing to guarantee that if there's a sin in your life, you already know it. You know it. Because he convicted you about it before you ever did it. 
and he's been convicting you the whole time you're doing it. So, Lord, is there something in my life? But I will say this. I will say this. There is times, there is times that, that bitterness can creep in. Bitterness can creep in because somebody's wounded us. Somebody has hurt us. And we never forgave them. And, and because we never forgave them, bitterness creeped in. And now I'm living in bitterness. And you know what? You can go many, many, many years in that with that being there and you not even realizing it's there. And the bitterness in you causes you to respond to people like you normally wouldn't respond. Because you're responding to their action, you're reacting in bitterness and not to the action. And sometimes, sometimes I've seen, I've seen spouses that were in previous relationships take out on their present spouse what the ex did to them. Because they carried that baggage into the new relationship and before they were healed completely from this former relationship, now I'm taking out on Susie what, 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 what uh, Mary did to me. And, and that bitterness is there and we don't even realize it. We don't know why we get angry like that. We don't know why that we respond like that. We don't know why we lash out like that. And it's not because this one did so wrong. It's that one did and we never got over it, and we never healed from it, and we never forgave them for what they did. So I'm taking out on the one that's in front of me because they're not here no more. And sometimes you can't see that. Sometimes you can't see that bitterness till God goes to cutting and revealing and showing and pulling back and doing surgery on the inside. So we'll have to address it. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. Listen, the, 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 God will use his word as a scalpel. I know it's a sharp two-edged sword that's used for battle, but I'm so glad he's, he's a delicate surgeon that can do surgery to bring the ultimate healing. Amen. amen. Listen, ask God. God, is there anything there? And, and, and you say, what if he shows me something? Great. Fix it. Correct it. Confess it. Say, God, I'm sorry. If God showed you where you're bitter against somebody, go, go make that right with them. Forgive them. You say, I don't want to do that. You don't want to hurt no more, do you? Make it right. But preacher, what if there isn't anything? Then you know it's development. If God doesn't reveal a specific sin that he would be disciplining you for, it's development. He is trying to develop your priorities. All right? Now, what do I do then? That's when you say, Lord, show me. What do, you need to, what, what do I need to take out of my life? What do I need to thin? Look what it says in number two. Pray, Lord, if you do not show me within a week from today that it is discipline, then I will take by faith that it is pruning. Number three, if you conclude that you are being disciplined, then sin is the problem. Repent and turn around. Simple as that. Number four, if you go and you see that you're being pruned, ask God to show you clearly what he wants you to let go of and trust him.
Let me say that again. And, come on everybody, I lost you. And trust him enough to release it completely to him. There's a, there's a third one. And we're not going to have time to finish this. Maybe. Uh, let's try. Let's try. There's a significance issue. It's not sin. It's not self. It's more about significance. It's really the core of your being. And, and, and if you'll notice, this is almost levels of maturity. As you mature as a Christian, you shouldn't have the same troubles when you've been a Christian 30 years as you had when you were a baby Christian. Now, that don't mean that, that seasoned saints don't mess up and sin. That's not what I'm saying. But you shouldn't struggle with the same issues as a baby Christian does. Are, are y'all with me? Say amen. And as you grow as a Christian, God moves in levels of attention that he's given you from Discipline over sin, development over self-occupied uh, things that keep you from bearing fruit. But then I want you to see this. The vine's ability to produce growth increases each year, but without extensive pruning, the plant weakens and its crops diminish. Mature branches must be pruned hard to achieve maximum yield. See what you got to look forward to? While early pruning in a Christian's life is mostly about outward activities and priorities, mature pruning is about your values and personal identity. What makes me who I really am? The best way of describing that mature pruning is in James 1, when he talks about the trying of your faith. Are you going to believe God when you can't see it, when you don't understand it, when it doesn't make sense to you? When God is testing your faith, are you going to believe him? God isn't trying to just take away. He's faithfully at work to make room to add strength and productivity and spiritual power in your life. His goal is to bring you closer to uh, being perfect and complete. That means mature in the image of Christ. Now watch this. This is so important. Please, please, please remember that a test of faith doesn't really test anything unless it pushes you past your last. That's why pruning often lasts longer and goes further than we think is necessary, even fair. That is also why if you pull back when you have reached what seems to be your limit, you will never grow or know how much you can really trust God. How do I know? How do I know where God is pruning? How do I know where God is pruning when you were a child and you hurt yourself, your mother's first question was what? Where does it hurt? How do I know where God's working in my life? Ask yourself the question. Where does it? Where does it hurt? When God is pruning you, you hurt somewhere in particular. The pain comes from the point where his shears are snipping something away. Look at the example in the pruning in the life of David. If y'all remember when David was running from King Saul, he was needing food and supplies and he asked uh, 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 an estate owner, Nabal, for food. And this is how Nabal responds. Who is this David? And he refused him, turned him down. This humiliating rejection is a direct hit to David's source point, his pride. Not to mention his confidence, his sense of dignity. David planned to kill him 
But Nabal's wife comes to David and reminds him that his real identity and security are safe in the hands of God. Abigail pleads with David to see beyond his pain and choose instead to pass the test of his faith. David recognizes her wisdom and turns back. And we know that this has helped him because in his reaction later with a similar situation. In 2 Samuel 16, you'll know that when he was run out by his son, Absalom, one of Saul's kinfolk came out and began to curse David and throw rocks at David and call him a bloody man, a bloody man, cursed him. And, and, and some of his men said, let me go take his head off. And David said, let him cuss. Let him cuss. It's all right. Let him cuss. What happened? David matured and David grew. God used things in his life to take that pride out. And so he could know that he was more than what somebody said he was. Somebody say amen right there. Listen, this crisis put together with many more was God's pruning David to prepare him to be one of Israel's greatest kings. Mature pruning is God's way of helping us put into practice his command. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. This is why God will always prune those things that we seek first, love most, or begrudging giving up. In other words, what's most precious to us. This kind of pruning goes way beyond rearranging our priorities to the heart of what defines who we really are. God may be asking you to give up your right to be married, to have children, or to achieve a certain measure of success. God may be inviting you to follow Him without the support of your closest family. If so, He's pruning closely to what really matters to you, not to take something good from you, but so that He can become Lord of all your desires. Some of these areas are where God will prune. Sometimes he'll prune in the people you love the most. Your right to know why God does what he does. Your love for money and possessions. The source of your significance. The source of your significance. We're out of time, but let me tell you, let me tell you, you can read, you can read about the pruned man, that's Paul. How many of y'all remember a man by the name of Joseph? He was a young man, 17 years old. God had a dream for him. God had a destiny for him. God had a future for him. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? And do you know he, he wore a coat of many colors? You remember? He was his father's favorite. The coat represented his significance. He was the golden child. He was the father's favorite son. He, the father didn't do that for none of the rest of them. This was the source of Joseph's significance. And you know what God did? After God had already given him a dream, after God had already told him he was going to do something great with his life, that he was going to rule and his, his mother and father and all his brethren were going to bow down to him, he wasn't ready. So God allowed his source of significance, say that with me, his source of to be stripped from him. And thrown in a pit. God emptied him of who he was. To make a long story short, he ended up on the throne. But it wasn't before God stripped him. How many of y'all remember a man by the name of Moses? Now we know the Moses and we hear about the Moses that stuttered. That had a speech impediment. That had a speaking problem. But do y'all know he didn't always have that? 
If you'll read in the New Testament, the Bible says he was a man mighty in word and deed. He was a statesman. Moses was trained and educated with the greatest schools in all of Egypt. He was the stepson to Pharaoh. And he tried to do things in his own way and take matters into his own hand. And God stripped him and sent him out in the wilderness for 40 years. And you know what they say? Those Bedouin, those Bedouin shepherds and, 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 and people that spend an extended period of time out in the wilderness away from human contact, they lose the ability to speak. And what once was Moses' source of significance, what he was known for, what he was bragged about, he was a man mighty in word. Indeed, he was a politician, a statesman, a powerful man. When God said, I need you to go tell my people and go bring my people out of Egypt, he said, I can't even speak. God took away his source of significance. But it was so he could do something great with his life. There's probably no greater Jewish character in all the Bible besides Jesus than David, Joseph, and Moses. Sometimes God's attention that he's bringing you is painful. But you've got to trust him. He does know best. And all God's people say it. Next week, <clears throat> next week, this is God's part of the process of bearing fruit. Next week, we're going to talk about our part of the process, the abiding. How do we do that? And all God's people say it. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord.